0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast. Starting out, as I always do, by reminding you of the plethora of untapped resources waiting for you to dig into at wealthformula.com. This includes a number of ways to get on a variety of our mailing lists. And if you are an accredited investor... You may want to, at some point, consider joining Investor Club so that all of these wonderful concepts and things that we talk about, you can actually participate in and get off the sidelines. Anyway, you can do all of that at wealthformula.com. Now, I also want to point out that there is an event coming up, and that is our next Wealth Formula meetup. That's going to be in Phoenix, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, April 24th and 25th. Now, that is going to be really fun, okay? Lots of really well-known individuals, some who've been at our events before, including the likes of Tom Wheelwright, rich dad advisor on taxes, uh, author of Tax-Free Wealth, uh, the, um, the great uh, syndicator Ken McElroy, rich dad advisor on real estate uh, we've got uh, Dave Steele coming back. We've got Doug Ludmel coming back. We've also got some new people, including uh, Richard Wilson, who is uh, the guy who is known uh, as the leader and founder of uh, the Family Office Club. Basically, the guy uh, is probably the um, the most recognized resource for family offices, meaning off, you know families who've got. You know millions of dollars. Uh, I know he's got a few billionaires uh, that he has mandates from, so he knows what he's talking about. And then we'll have some uh, oil and gas uh, talks, etc. We'll do a cool bus tour uh, of a lot of the property that is owned by you guys in the Wealth Formula Nation as part of Investor Club. But probably the most uh, useful thing that everybody says about these events is the fact that you get to be a part of the Wealth Formula community. Now, I'm not saying that like to be all touchy-feely. That is a reality. Ask anybody who went to any of our last two events what the best part was. It's the quality of people and the interactions. They are top-notch. You know, we cap these things at 100 people, and the people who come, they are all high-level people. I mean, we've got tons and tons of uh, you know, really smart professionals. we got, you know, doctors, lawyers, uh, business people. Uh, we got real estate people, etc. cetera. Uh, this is not a, you know, get out of the, you know, try to escape from the cubicle type group. We're not going to talk about how you, you know, how you can escape your nine to five with, um, you know, making 20 grand a year. That's not what we do. So this is a high-level group, and being in that kind of high-level group and being able to uh, make connections with them is extraordinarily valuable. I don't need to tell those of you who have already been there uh, how powerful that can be, but I will tell you once again: it is the best part of the event. Not that there's anything wrong with you know Tom Wilwright and Ken McElroy and you know all those other great people, but it's you know the the takeaway here is that it's all about, you know, our group. Now, uh, if you're interested in that, again, we are capping to a hundred people as we always do, because we like to keep these things, um, you know, nice and tight, uh, go to wealthformulaevents.com. Again, that's wealthformulaevents formula events with an S.com and sign up as soon as possible. I think there's also a uh, room block, et cetera, uh, going on as well. All right. Now, um, let me let me start out uh, talking a little bit about something else for this podcast. And that is, well, you know, if you're part of our uh, Wealth Formula Investor Club, uh, you know, if you've been there for you the know, last year or so, that probably about 95 percent of what we do is pretty much the same thing over and over again, which is value add multifamily real estate. And we also only do this generally with two operators. Uh, and some of you have uh, literally invested, I mean, I'm talking millions of bucks into these deals, a multiple, uh, several of you have. Um, and that's that's great. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I, I believe in it too. I've got my own money in these things and my dad's money. He's 80 years old. This is the first time he's investing passively because he feels strongly in it as well. But, you know, uh, so we're doing this stuff. Uh, so I'm not, uh, you know, my family and me, we're not doing anything different from you. And I know that in talking to some of you that this all seems kind of boring, right? And I get it. The entrepreneur in me wants to bring you and me some brand new bright and shiny objects and then, you know, deploy capital that way. But honestly, I just can't do that at least right now. Because right now, boring is good, okay? Boring is good. For those of you who have been urging me to branch out, I promise you that I'm looking at new stuff all the time. The problem is that risk-adjusted returns just never seem to be on par with what we're already doing. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, let me give you some examples because I don't want you to think I'm just, you know, just, just blowing air I am doing a lot of due diligence on a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff looks really interesting. Right. So, you know, I was, uh, not long ago met up with a private equity shop, uh, in Dallas, uh, and they were really interested in doing a joint venture with our group, uh, with our, with our credit investor group in which, you know, the idea was kind of interesting, right? So, uh, they were going to construct a bunch of well-known, burger franchises across the country. Uh, they were going to, you know, they were going to uh, pay out a preferred return, uh, and then, you know, use the rest of the money to, uh, create more of these burger places, then roll them up and then, and then sell to private equity, uh, by, you know, essentially getting a, a certain multiple. And then that would be the exit. And you know what, that kind of deal sounds great. I mean, it's really interesting. Sounds good on the surface, when you look at the pro forma, you know, the investor IRR was, well, about 20%, which was, you know, it was respectable. Um, And I should point out, too, that, you know, with what they were trying to do, I think there's reason to expect that they might have exceeded that uh, 20% return projection, which, again, you know, it's not a bad bad at all. But then I started looking into it and thinking about, you know, in, in the context of what we're currently doing right? So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay, well, there is a pref, there's some dividends along the way, but you know what? It's an operating business, so there's no tax benefits. And when it comes to the operating business issue altogether, and what I mean by an operating business is, you know, it's a business, it's not real estate, right? There is no doubt in my mind, no doubt, I don't know who would say otherwise, that there is greater risk to owning an operating business in a volatile, uncertain economy than there is in working-class residential real estate. I have no doubt that that is true. So bottom line, it was a shiny object. It was a cool business plan, great team. I'm sure they'll do fine. But the return profile, again, was similar to our real estate pro formas, right? But there was far greater exposure to volatile economic climates and no tax advantages you know what? I'll take boring. I'll take boring for right now. Maybe in a different situation, right? Where we're just trying to, you know, we're we're in a different part of the cycle and want to ride it up and see these multiples go up and all that matter. The reality is that I think of private equity in businesses right now is not a great place to be because I think they're going to get affected first. Multiples will go down. And that's what I truly believe. Now, let me tell you about another deal I passed up because it's not just picking on operating businesses. So this one was an interesting thing, commercial real estate. Okay. So this group uh, wanted to do JV with me again, uh, with our group, with the accredited investor group. And I'm looking at the business model, looks really interesting. So what they do is they actually buy properties from, uh, they buy properties from pension plans, right? And they're buying them like sort of at the end of their, uh, cycle. So these pension plans, you know, they, whenever they buy anything, they have to stick to their plan. Like you buy it, you hold it for a period of time, however long you said you're going to own it for, and then you sell it, whatever. Uh, and it's per mandate. And so because of that, uh, because these, uh, businesses are, or because these pension plans are selling these things, you know, on a schedule, uh, this group was picking these things up at what they, uh, what they called a steep, uh, a steep discount of approximately 30% which if you think about it, you're like, okay, well, 30%, it's commercial real estate, um, and, you know, if we have a drop in price, uh, you know, it may not be 30%, so maybe you're safe even if you're, uh, maybe if, if you're picking these up, you're safe even if there is a drop in commercial real estate. But uh, then I look deeper into it. Then I'm looking at it, and I, and there are markets that that are tertiary, you know, like Louisville and Cincinnati and and stuff like that, which, you know, listen, I got nothing against Louisville and Cincinnati if you live there, but, and, you know, it ain't, it ain't exactly Dallas, Texas, right? It's not, it's not like this massive growth machine, right? Like, uh, you know, Arizona or something like that. And then I'm looking I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, well, all right. Tertiary markets, we got, you know, now we've got uh, tertiary markets, commercial real estate. So that's strike two. And then I dive dive a little bit deeper. Cap rates are still, well, they're around eight, uh, you know, despite the big purchase price discount, right? So 30% discount, but still 8% cap rate. Uh, And this, this 8% cap rate, mind you, is with vacancies at historical lows, meaning you're just actually, you know, you're absolutely on all cylinders with net operating income. So what does that tell me? It tells me that this model is super cool and it may do really, really well, but I think the timing is terrible, right? Am I really going to load up on office space in tertiary markets in the 11th year of the longest expansion of GDP in US history in an election year? I mean, if I did that, you guys would be like, man... This guy's lost. He's got, he's lost it. And, and I'm not saying they're gonna they're gonna get killed for sure. That's just you know that's just reality. Again, the answer is no. But I promise I'm still looking. Uh, it's just that right now, very little beats our boring little real estate deals on a risk adjusted basis. And that my friends is the truth. And that's why we don't sit there and do like, you know, 50 different kinds of things. Somebody was talking to, talking to me about medical devices, uh, the other day, if I have an interest, the answer is no, the answer is no. I know more doctors have lost money in medical devices than anything else. So startups and medical devices, no, not interested, Right. You get maybe you once in a while they'll do well, but most of the time they don't. You just ask any, you know, silly doctor sitting in his office, put a bunch of money in a medical device. So for now, me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do and what accredited investor group or, or investor club is going to do. It's going to keep investing the same way and it's going to be boring. And you might, fi- you might find it prudent to be the same. I mean, there are certain areas I still think there's some promise. We've got some stuff coming up. It's a little bit different as well, but it's not going to be that often because right now, boring is good. Now, if you're making a lot of your investments out of retirement accounts, retirement accounts, or thinking about doing so, I would highly recommend you listen to today's podcast with Damian Lupo. You know, if you've been on the fence about using retirement funds for real estate, some of the recent legislation that. Uh, we have had may change your mind. So in this episode, which is uh, relatively short, uh, it's going to be a conversation with Damien and if it will be a little bit of a review of you know using retirement accounts, uh, IRAs, 401ks, self-direction, some of the things to think about, like taxation, Ubit, UDFI, and then finally, uh, Damien's going to explain the changes in the legislation. So make sure you listen. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast is the president and CEO of Total Control Financial, Mr. Damian Lupo. Now, Damian has been on the show before a few times, actually. Uh, He's a serial entrepreneur and author uh, along with his uh, position at Total Control Financial, and he's also a master of martial arts. Damian, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Good to be here, Buck. Thanks for having me back. You bet. So what have you been up to? What have you been up to? Have you been, uh, um, you know, cranking along, uh, writing more books? Yeah. Well, we had that, that last one, the Unicornomics, that came out and then mm-hmm. helping people
1: design their decade here with some new changes that have happened with, with the tax laws and just helping people design a decade in, instead of just having one of these default decades that nobody really likes to look back and, sure. and realize it just happened.
0: I hear you so listen the you know the we we've had you know you've been on a few times um and we've talked about a few different things, but you, the core of what you do in your business has to do with the concept of this um e q r p and I know there are some new developments in this, and we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but I thought we'd use the time to just again uh you know review the elements of retirement accounts in general and pros and cons, if that's okay with you. Um, so at a, re, you know, and, and I'm going to ask some basic questions because the reality is a lot of times people have basic questions and don't know basic things and, you know, and they're afraid to ask. So at a granular level, let's start with a simple question, okay? What is the difference between an IRA and a 401k?
1: The, the, two, the difference is they're under different parts of the code. So IRAs are under 408 and 401ks are under 401. And basically you've got a custodian with an IRA and you can be your own uh, custodian, if you will, under a 401k. And big difference um, really is that you can put a lot more money into a 401k versus an IRA, and you can actually have control and invest in real estate very differently without being taxed in a 401k Whereas in an IRA, there's a huge tax that we always like to talk about, and that most people don't know is there.
0: And that's a huge difference for people that are really into real estate and want to use those funds. You may not know the answer to this, and I don't expect you would. But why? Why is there such a big difference? Because ultimately, they're both retirement accounts, right? So, what's the what? Why the difference? Why is there a difference in terms of the law here?
1: It's it's a strange thing. I mean, back. Uh, these were both started in the 70s with the ERISA Act. And when the, they started differ, differing, the IRA was meant to be just kind of an add-on thing for people to add a few more dollars if they didn't have a company 401k. And the 401k was meant, it was really a giveaway to the companies to stop doing uh, defined benefit plans, the pensions, so that they could spend less on the future obligations. And so that was, I mean, there, most people were putting a lot of money into defined benefits and to switch it, you had to have a lot of money. Whereas the IRA wasn't meant to be like a catch-all for everything. And what's really strange is that over the years, a lot of people leave their jobs and they move their 401ks into IRAs. So now there's more money in IRAs. There's almost $10 trillion in them. And so a lot of the focus with IRS and the Congress, and I'll get into this and some of the changes, has been on that pool of money because $10 trillion is a lot of money to try to figure out how to tax and make revenue for the government. And so that's really been the target. The 401ks are kind of the same thing. Most of them are in mutual funds. So there's not a lot of changes there other than a couple of things we're going to talk about. But really the the focus has been changing the ways the IRAs
0: are working and 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 they're becoming a bigger animal than the 401ks okay, so as a reminder, and again, let's just stick to some basics again to get some you know to make a, make this sort of a well-rounded show because I think people i have I've, I've noticed actually a bunch of new listeners just in terms of downloads so it, the, the, so the taxes that you're talking about um, that that you don't generally get um, with the 401k, but you do with an IRA relate to uh, certain kinds of things, uh, specifically, uh, as we know them, UBIT and UDFI. Is that correct? Exactly right. Explain what those are, what are the, and what are the differences between UBIT and UDFI and what kinds of things constitute that? So UDFI is the Unrelated Debt Financed Income
1: effectively, if you're making money, let's say your IRA invests in something and, you're, and it has debt, then you're making profits partially because of your money, which is kind of the equity, and partially because of the debt. And the IRS says, well, that's not really fair. It, we should tax you on the money that you're the profits you're making from the debt. And so that's where this thing called UBIT, the unrelated business income tax hits. And it's this really high tax rate, which is 37% as the top. And so they target that type of thing. If you're using debt, now, for whatever reason, in the, in the 401 section, which is where the EQRP lives, it, there's an exemption for debt financed and, and leveraged real estate. And I think that's because with IRAs, what we know is that there's more money in IRAs and that's where most people do their real estate investing. So they're targeting that space and they're not really going after the 401, which is where the EQRP has the, the golden, you know, the golden shoot, if you will, because it's exempt.
0: So... Um- and again, so basically what we're talking about is you've got your IRA, you got your 401k. And, in, and really what this is, what we're specifically focusing on is the idea, hopefully most people know this, but you can self-direct your IRA. If you don't know that, well, now you know it. And the same thing goes for a 401k rather than having to invest in just, you know, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, you can self-direct. It's called a solo 401k. Um, if you're a business owner, and you can uh, invest in things like real estate. And what Damien is saying is that if it's an IRA, whether it's a Roth IRA, regular IRA, that the IRS is saying that, hey, if you invest and you made you know 30% on your investment, we're gonna pick that apart and say, well, what percentage of this was uh, from, from leverage? And the leverage component correct me if I'm wrong, but the leverage component of that will be taxed at that 30% level. Is that right? That's exactly right. So it's an interesting uh, idea because I don't even understand necessarily how they picked that apart, but, but, um, but yeah, somebody must do it. So just to be clear, Damien, what we're talking about is this: is that in an IRA, but not in a 401k, you, if you make, say, for example, uh, you know, 30% uh, return on investment in real estate, somehow that profit gets picked apart and part of it is determined to be because of leverage and part of it is determined to be not because of leverage. And the part that is with leverage is taxed in a pretty meaningful way at about 30%, correct?
1: Yeah. And, and just so it's really clear, I think with if, if a common thing that we see this happening in, somebody has an IRA that invests in a real estate deal, maybe they, they put $100,000 in and that doubles over five years. That $100,000 profit, if there was like a 70% mortgage, which is very typical, their tax would be about $20,000. So when you split, split it apart, that's about the reality of, of using an IRA.
0: Okay. Interesting. So it comes out to about 20%. Uh you know of the actual returns when you look at it from the standpoint of like a 70 30 you know 70% lt or yeah like a 70% ltv deal that's exactly right okay all right so doesn't matter if it's a roth by the way and just to review um uh, since we're going down this rabbit hole of you know reviewing all the concepts behind a retirement account a roth ira uh, is essentially the same type of thing you can do uh, with after-tax after, uh, after tax funds. So, you can take money and, you know, instead of doing tax deferral on the front end, you pay the taxes and then you don't ever pay taxes again. Um, so, in that case, uh, you would, would you, even with the Roth IRA, then would you have UBIT in that situation? Because I thought you weren't supposed to be taxed uh, on any of that income.
1: That's actually one of the big surprises. All IRAs are going to get taxed on the on any type of leveraged real estate. So it doesn't matter if it's deferred or Roth. Uh, that's it's a nightmare, but it's definitely any, any IRA.
0: Okay, got it. Is Solo 401k, we know, can also be of the Roth variety. And in that case, you wouldn't have to worry because you didn't have to worry for it in the, in the, in the first one either, in the, non-defer, uh, in the, in the pre-tax one. So, um, and just for pure completeness, what is a backdoor Roth? Because that's the last component of of the basics I want to cover. So basically when
1: when someone makes too much income and they want to have a Roth IRA, they can't they they get opted out, they get exempted out. So effectively what you do is somebody takes money, puts it into an IRA, and then they convert it to a Roth. That's basically what a backdoor Roth is. It's kind of a silly thing because you can only put a small amount of money in, but it is how you do a backdoor quote unquote backdoor Roth. And we're gonna maybe share some ideas about a totally different idea.
0: Um, right. Roth. We'll talk about those limits as long as we know, just so we can compare and contrast what we can do. So, when you say, first of all, in an IRA, just remind us what's your, you know, maximum contribution per year? Six thousand. And if you're age fifty, you get a whole thousand dollar catch up, so seven thousand a year. Okay, so seven thousand dollars a year, and and that's how you're going to do your quote unquote uh, uh, backdoor on seven thousand dollars, right? Um, And then, and then with the typical 401k, what is a a solo 401k? What's the type of contribution there?
1: So it's 57,000 per person and a couple, you're talking 114,000. And then if they're over age 50, it's another 6,500 each. So it could be 127,000 per
0: household. Got it. Got it. So that's actually, you know, quite a bit more meaningful. Now, of course, uh, solo 401k is not Typically, something that anybody can do because you need to have a business, right? So, then comes along this thing that you you call a QRP. So, what is a QRP, and and you know what what makes it so we can do this? So the, the the idea, and there's a little
1: confusion around this. The QRP really QRP stands for Qualified Retirement Plans. This is all of the plans. It's hmm. the IRA's, the four hundred one ks. What we've created is the EQRP, and it allows people. <laughs> to have control of their money under the 401 section. And there all sorts of businesses are qualified, meaning you can have an online business, you could have an eBay store. It, basically anybody that wanted to do something can qualify. And it has some unique things that make it far superior to everything in that class. and makes it way better than say a solo 401k. We can go into those a little bit. So let's it's, do that. It's let's do that. Yeah. Cause
0: that's one of the questions I, I get sometimes. And quite honestly, I don't really know the answer. So why why is it better than a solo 401k? Because th- what you're saying is I understand it is okay. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, you could have a solo 401k. You could maybe have your investment business and have a solo 401k. Why not do that? Right? So why do a QRP?
1: So the the reason for, for setting up an EQRP is is that you're going to have two major things. One you're going, to be, you're going to have liability protection because of the way it's built. And typical solo 401ks don't have the liability protection, meaning if you get sued and you have a big pile of money in this thing, then the courts are going to go after you for a judgment. And places like California, that's not a good thing because they tend to go after people a lot. So with an EQRP, you've got a layer of liability protection that a solo does not have. And so that's a big deal in and of itself. And the other thing is that you can't have employees if you have a solo 401k, an EQRP, you can have employees. You can also hire employees down the road. So what we see people doing is they set up a solo 401k, and then they end up wanting to hire an employee, and then they're stuck. So their plan blows right. up, and that's a huge problem. Got it. Got it.
0: And to your point now, like uh, about the um, flexibility of this, of course, every you know, a lot of times when I, when when you talk about this. Everyone's first question ends up being, "Well, why isn't everybody doing this then? Why are we just doing? Why is why is everybody just doing uh, IRAs and self-directed IRAs and, and stuff like that? I mean, what's uh, what's the catch here?" The IRAs have been used for the for the
1: self directing for a lot longer than the the 401k section. The 401s have really just always been mutual funds until the last couple of decades. And so, what, what happened is a big industry grew up around the IRAs, and that's where all the marketing is. And that's where people tend to go automatically. They think, oh, I'm rolling my money out of a company 401k, it's going to go into an IRA. When, when the legislation changed back in the early 2000s and allowed some things where you could put 50 plus thousand into an individual 401k, then people said, oh, this is great. But there's, the fees are so much less when you're not being feed for every transaction which you generally are with an LL or an an IRA. So that's that's not a good model for a custodian when they don't get to fee you all the time. That's really Mm -hmm. a profitable model. So you're not going to see companies saying, hey, let me give you a model where we make 10 times less money. That would be
0: really bad for business. Got it. Okay, so pretty good reason in and of itself to say I should at least look into this QRP thing By the way, if you are interested, uh, Damien has a book that he's made available for anybody. And if you want a copy of that, uh, you can just go to four, you can text 44222 and then uh, just put in QRP book as one word 44222 QRP book. And then uh, he'll send you um, an actual book that you can read all about it. Now, I want to uh, move on here because there was a reason that we specifically wanted to get you on because some of the uh, legislation in this area has changed favorably for people. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, there was there was something called the SECURE Act that was um, put into law effective January 1st. It was one of those end of the evening, right before Christmas events that got signed into law and made effective January 1st, and some big things changed. So what was... Um, basically, this was a big push by the insurance companies to sell annuities, and so that's why it happened. So, if they're going to sell annuities for 401ks, one of the things that Congress always has to figure out to do, like they have to figure out how they're going to pay for their legislation. So, what they did is there was something called a stretch IRA, where basically somebody inherits an IRA and they can keep it and spend it and grow it the rest of their lives. They killed that in this legislation. So, if you inherit an IRA or this is part of estate planning for a lot of folks, it's it's no longer a lifetime; it's ten years. So somebody inherits it, they've generally got to uh, spend it or pull it out within 10 years. That's how they, they paid for this whole thing. So that's a big deal. Mm. Now, that was the downside. That was, the, that was the, the negative. The positive is that they made it so that you can set up a retirement account anytime up to the point that you file your taxes. So for example, here we are in 2020 and you go, oh my gosh, I made too much money. I made $200,000 in, in 2019, but it's already 2020. Well, it used to be that you were stuck, but now the new legislation allows you to set up a retirement account, an EQRP for the last year and contribute for the last year all the way to the time you file your taxes, which April 15th or October 15th. And so what that means, if let's say you made 200,000 and you think, oh crap, I'm in, I'm in the 32% tax bracket and I'm not going to get that 20% deduction, which we got from previous tax legislation. Basically, if you set up a plan, like we set up a plan now. And then you contribute, say, fifty-seven thousand, your max, and you're, now your income's down to one hundred and forty-three. Well, now you're below that threshold, so you can get the twenty percent deduction, which means your actual income is going to be like one hundred and fourteen. So if you just do the math on setting up a plan, it's going to save around twenty thousand dollars in taxes, and we could never do this before. It only allowed us to do this after the legislation to fix last year. Uh, so that was a, that's a huge deal for people that find themselves. Is, is the this on a
0: yearly basis now where it will be up to tax day or is it um, or is it just for this year, for the correction of this year? The, the biggest, well, in any, any time now we can set
1: up a plan in the ne- in the following year for the previous year. And then you can always make your contribution for the previous year up to the time you pay your taxes or you file, your taxes. Even so if you, you're filing, even if you're extending. Yeah, absolutely. So all the way till October. So it allows you to do some tax planning and not even have to have the cash until towards the end of the year.
0: Well, that's really interesting, too, because it's one of the, I think one of the problems that, I mean, I certainly have, and I'm sure others do, is they have no idea how much tax they owe until the following year. <laughs> and then you're like, gosh, I wish I did that, or I wish I'd you know wish i done that. So that this is an opportunity for people to kind of, sort of um, the best of both worlds, they can actually you know, have some additional cash and, and pay less taxes and, and make that calculation based on, you know, numbers that, that um, at the, are at their fingertips from tax planning. That's a, big, that's a big
1: problem. Like when you're talking about getting stuff later, people get K-1s, they get their stuff way into the new year
0: and they, they literally don't know. don't know. So this fixed that problem. Yeah, like I'm for example, depreciation, things. right? I mean, um, lots of bonus depreciation, particularly in our you know, investor group. Um, with a lot of real estate and people are getting K-1s back and they, it's really hard to know exactly how much bonus depreciation it could be, you know, 40%, it could be 90%, you know, in that first year. And those make a substantial uh, difference to your projection. So this is actually a really good thing to know. Um, now, let me ask you, uh, is there anything else uh, we, we need to know from that before I move on?
1: Yeah, and the other thing that really they want to get more people. The government wants to get more people involved in the four hundred one k system. So one of the things they said was part time employees are now going to be required to be covered. So here's the thing: if if you've got a solo four hundred one k, that thing is a bad idea. It's not going to work if you end up having part time employees, and we're we're talking people that are working like ten hours a week. So the great thing is an EQRP covers that. It covers those part time or the full time. So, this this makes the EQRP even better than the solos, it, better than it already was because it covers- you, What do you mean it
0: covers them? Just, can you, it, can you-
1: Yeah. So, when you have, when typically 401ks have employees. They have participants. With the solo 401k, you have a business owner and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, an EQRP has the ability to cover both the owner and the employees. Solo 401k is not built and set up for
0: employees at all. Mm, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. Well- uh, one other thing I think is worth mentioning because I get this question a lot um, you know in the context uh, of people just learning about what you do and um you know full disclosure i don't really i don't do this because i you know i've got lots of depreciation, so I really haven't had to luckily um, focus too much on retirement plans so i'm I'm no expert in this area at all um, but uh, one of the questions I often get is when people find out well, gosh, I didn't know about this UBIT thing or UDFI thing. And what can I do about it? I mean, I've already pledged assets. Uh, you know, I've already bought or invested in, you know, a bunch of apartment buildings with my IRA. Um, is there a way to, you know, move the ownership to a, a QRP and, and then, you know, hopefully not pay that tax?
1: That's that's the great thing. We can we can do a rollover and it's called an an in in kind rollover where we move the asset so you don't even have to sell the asset. It can just be like an apartment syndication you have to be in you happen to be invested in. We can move the asset from the IRA into your EQRP. At that moment, the tax is gone. You are exempt. And so there is a way to solve this. And the urgency is making sure you do it sooner than later, because if it gets sold, the likelihood is you're gonna have to pay the tax. But you can definitely fix the problem even if it's invested. That's a huge thing for people
0: to realize. They can fix this. Even if you've already had a distribution, like it's year's gone by, you've had distributions from one, you can, you can still move it? Yeah. And, and that's
1: one of the things that people don't, re- they, they say, well, I'm not really subject to this because I've had my investment for two or three years and nothing's happened. And I haven't had to file a 990T, which is what you have to file if there's UBIT. And the, the, re- the reason is because there's not a positive income of over a thousand bucks. So it doesn't matter if you've had distributions, you haven't been subject to UBIT where it's been a payable event. Uh, The moment that the property sells or you run out of depreciation, you're going to have that UBIT
0: tax. Interesting. Well, again, uh, if you want to learn more about this, uh, you know, order Damien's book, uh, just uh, text 44222 and put QRP book. That's one word. Damien, is there anything else we need to know about this topic or subject before we go?
1: I think one of the things that's really valuable is to understand there are uses for it. And then there are reasons not to use a retirement account. And with um, a lot of time, if you have long-term real estate that you're going to hold for 30 years, probably not a very useful thing to put that tax shelter in this tax shelter. Our friend Tom Wheelwright says that all the time. And if you're doing things where you're maybe going to be in something and then out of it in say three to five years, like a lot of syndications, this is the tool. Now, the, the last thing I'll say is that when you have an EQRP, you can convert your money from deferred to Roth, and when you do that, there are ways to do that without paying taxes so you 've never paid taxes on the on the money and you 'll never pay taxes on the distributions And Those are some of the strategies that that uh, tom wheelwright and and his clients will will work with us on. Uh, the Roth is one of those great giveaways i don't think it's going to be here forever and the and I guess the, the, the last last thing I'll say is you are able to pull money out of Roth, out of your contributions into a Roth account or conversions at any point, tax-free and penalty-free. And that's a huge thing most people don't realize. You have access to a giant amount of money that, that you thought was stuck until you're 60, but you can actually pull it out at any point. Pull out the principal,
0: just write right. the principal.
1: Principal yeah. or, and as well, the conversion. So if you have deferred money, you can convert it. As soon as you've converted it, you can pull it out tax-free, penalty-free.
0: Got it. Good stuff, man. Very, uh, very nuts and bolts kind of granular stuff that we can use every day. Uh, thanks again for being on uh Wealth Formula podcast. I know you're coming out to, uh, you're going to come out for the event, um, and give us a little, you know, short uh, version of what we talked about today, just for people's r- reminder. Uh, it, uh, I want to thank you again for being on the show. Thanks Buck. It's always great to be here. I appreciate it. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. Everyone, I just want to uh, point out that uh, Damien has got some good stuff. Make sure you check, uh, read his book, uh, or at least uh, learn a little bit about some of these different options that you have. Um, There are a number of people who are using his QRP model. Uh, People ask me if I do that, and the answer is no, I don't have any kind of retirement account. Um, I'm not a huge fan in general, but I mean, I think if you've already got an IRA, uh, you know, Various other types of uh, uh, retirement accounts. It certainly sounds like something worth uh, looking into. Um, that said, you know, uh, Damien's also going to be at our uh, event, our Wealth Formula Meetup, April 24th and 25th. He's not going to be speaking, but he will uh, be handing out books and there to answer some questions for you as well. Speaking of which, don't forget to sign up. Go to Wealth Formula Events with an com and make sure you are one of those lucky 100 people who ends up in Phoenix for our next meetup, Hindsight 2020. That's what we're calling it. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment see you next time
0: buck joffrey here from Sapia with buck joffrey aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years it's already being done in lab animals so it's just a matter of time our challenge to be healthy enough for when that time comes as a former scientist and surgeon myself my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.